Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Interview where we meet some of the brightest minds of today and talk about the ideas that matter most in politics, arts, and society. I'm Rebecca, assistant editor at Prospect. This week, we talked to novelist Avni Doshi about her debut, Burnt Sugar, which has just been shortlisted for this year's Booker Prize. Burnt Sugar is a searing novel about a woman who lives with her husband in Pune, India. She's just discovered that her mother has Alzheimer's, the diagnosis is bringing back some difficult memories for them both. I talked to Avni about her book back in August, when she had just discovered she had been long-listed, never mind shortlisted, for the Booker Prize. Her energy excitement was palpable, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'm here with Avni Doshi. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So tell us a bit about how you first got the idea for Burnt Sugar. The idea came to me in a kind of strange, unconscious way. Uh, at the time, I was living in India, in Mumbai, and uh, my grandmother lives in Pune, in Pune, the city where the novel is set. And I was in her apartment, and I saw kind of, there, there was a mirror, and I saw there, it, there was kind of like some kind of, dapple running through the mirror that kind of split my reflection in two and I don't know it was a very strange uncanny kind of image that stayed in my mind uh, and I had this image in my mind of a woman's face split into two and that's how the whole idea kind of planted in my mind and I started writing around that image that very day I believe and it kind of grew from there and if I remember correctly, the first scene was a scene between a mother and a daughter. Uh, the daughter was a young girl and the mother was, I think, chain smoking on, on her balcony and the daughter came out and caught her. And it just sort of evolved from there. Um, the novel took seven years uh, to complete. And yeah, I think by the time it was published in India, it had been seven years. And so it's eight years now. Um, and there were about eight drafts that I had written uh, over the course of that time. So it went through a lot of shifts and changes. And the first draft looks nothing like what the book is today. 
So it's difficult, you know, to pinpoint where the idea came from because mm -hmm. I think it's taken so many twists and turns since then. And yeah, let's go back to that seven years statistic. So, so how was it sitting with it for seven years? Was it out of your own choice? Um, and how did you kind of make sure things stayed fresh and new the whole time? You know, um, so I finished the first draft uh, be only because um, somebody posted, a friend of mine posted something on Facebook about a, a literary prize in India for an unpublished manuscript. And to me, it, it was it was a prize that was held by an agency and, you know, you would get an agent if you won and, you know, you would get the chance to publish your work. So to me, you know, I never imagined that I would win something like that. I had no background or training in writing. Mm -hmm. um, but still, I thought, you know what, let me try. Let me keep this date in mind and I, I can kind of work toward it um, because otherwise I know I'll be... Mm -hmm. Uh, toiling with this forever. So I kind of had that in the back of my mind and I finished, I think it was within a month. Um, I put what I had together and turned it into some semblance of a novel and I ended up winning the mm. prize. And it was really amazing because for me, I had no experience or knowledge of publishing or even how to get an agent. Mm -hmm. um, so what year was this? This was in 2013. Okay. Cool. And around that time, I also applied for a fellowship at uh, the University of East Anglia in the mm -hmm. UK, and I was awarded the fellowship. So I, these two things kind of happened back to back that were so wonderful um, and really gave me a push. But they were also a really big wake up call because I thought that, oh, you know, I, I just had this idea that, you know, it all would just flow out of me and mm -hmm. I would just sit down and this, this complete perfect work would come out of me oh. and on the page fully formed and what I found was I had no idea what I was doing I didn't know how to write um, I, I definitely didn't know how to edit or rewrite and that's really what writing is it's all about editing and rewriting especially when you're working on a novel you know it's it's a substantial amount uh, of work and time that goes into it so I think having an agent suddenly and having this um, fellowship, it really showed me that I had a lot to learn and I had a long way to go before uh, this book could see the light of day. Having said that, I did not know it would take, <laughs> I did not know it would take seven years. I don't know if I would have started to begin with if I had, if I had any idea of the time it would take. It's, it's really daunting to think about, you know, spending that much time on a single piece of work. But I, I guess in the end, it was about taking it one day at a time. And I quit so many times in between. I just gave up, threw away what I had. Um, and then within, I guess, a few weeks, figured out that, you know, the only way to do this was to start over. So that it was that kind of a process. It's a lot about tricking yourself, I think, to, to say that, oh, this, this draft is the one, you know, and convincing yourself. And then by the time you get to the end of it, you know that, oh God, you have to start over again. Yeah, there's something nice about that too, though. I think even in the publishing industry, you know, less so than in journalism, but there can be a get something out quick, 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 quick. And I think if you really sat with something for a long time, you can have faith in what's being put out rather than 
oh, I rushed this off and I, you know, this could be so much better in my head. Yeah, I, you know, I wonder about that because I guess when I was writing this, I was sort of, you know, they say, they talk about different writers talk about writing in the dark with your first novel that you kind of have that opportunity where no one knows you, no one cares about you and you're kind of in your room by yourself, um, you know, toiling away and you don't have anyone looking over your shoulder, no one, you know, sending emails, hey, how's it going on that draft or have you started working on that novel yet? Um, and because of that, you have that luxury of time and also you have, there's a sort of freedom, I guess, to make mistakes and to experiment. And I've been thinking about that now that this book is done and, you know, people are already asking me, oh, have you started working on the second, which I haven't, <laughs> but I've started already thinking that, you know, I don't, it, it's not going to really be the same experience because, you know, and, and, and I feel very lucky that there are people who are already asking me about the second one, but that also asks, that also adds um, a bit of pressure that mm. I didn't have before. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, so let's, before, before we quiz you about what's next, um, let's look at Burnt Sugar. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, the novel's set in Pune, and the sounds and textures are just so vividly described in the novel. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about the city. Sure. So um, the the city that I used to visit as a child, I grew up in the States and my mother is from Pune, Pune and uh, she, you know, used to take me there every year growing up and my grandmother lived there and a lot of uh, my mother's family um, were and are also there to this day. So this I've kind of grown up alongside the city and I've watched the city change uh, as I've grown and that's really been interesting. Um, the Pune in the book, the Pune, I should say in the book. So the reason it's Pune and Pune, um, I should clarify, is mm -hmm. because during, um, during the British Raj, the city was called Pune. And so for a long time, we all knew it as Pune until I think it was in the late 90s or early 2000s that uh, the Indian government officially changed the name to Pune, mm -hmm. which I guess is the kind of um, the, you know, the way it's said in, in the vernacular language. So, um, so growing up, you know, going there, it was just all about family and it was all about the women in my mother's family. And uh, so that's really the lens through which I experienced the city and the way I remember it. It was all about food and all about kind of enjoying, um, enjoying it in a very comfortable, uh, you know, home environment. And now when I go and visit, I kind of see a different side of it. I see all the, I see all the ways in which it's become this big modern city, the way it's grown. There's kind of this strange but interesting urban sprawl that's, that's taken place, which, which has happened in, I guess, all cities in Asia to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so the whole landscape of the city is, is really quite different. Mm -hmm. um, but the way I wrote the city was was not, I guess, very accurate in a sense. I wasn't interested in pinpointing, you know, particular geographic locations or describing something 
in a very precise way. I was more interested in layering the the sensory experiences of the places, the way I kind of remembered them, um, the way I imagined them, the way I wanted them to be. So it was all about, you know, it, it, the precision was less important to me. It was more about um, layering them in a way that would be evocative for the reader. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's less about here's an accurate description of the city and more about kind of grounding your product, product grounding your protagonist and kind of giving a sense of how she's feeling walking around her surroundings. Yeah, and I was thinking if it's a city that she's grown up in, she would have a similar layering of experience that she would bring to every location she visited. Mm -hmm. um, so that was sort of in the back of my mind um, when I was describing the city. Mm -hmm. And then the biggest thread underlying the novel is the relationship and the ten tense relationship between your protagonist and Tara um, and her mother Tara and I was wondering if you could read out the, the first passage of the book which I think really captures that. Sure yeah. I would be lying if I said my mother's misery has never given me pleasure. I suffered at her hands as a child and any pain she subsequently endured appeared to me to be a kind of redemption, a rebalancing of the universe where the rational order of cause and effect aligned. But now I can't even the tally between us. The reason is simple. My mother is forgetting and there is nothing I can do about it. There is no way to make her remember the things she has done in the past, no way to baste her in guilt. I used to bring up instances of her cruelty casually over tea and watch her face curve into a frown. Now she mostly can't recall what I'm talking about. Her eyes are distant with perpetual cheer. Anyone witnessing this will touch my hand and whisper, enough now, she doesn't remember, poor thing. The sympathy she elicits in others gives rise to something acrid in me. Thanks so much. and. Yeah, I think a lot of quotes on the back of the book um, point to how sharp and acerbic it is. And I, and I think that opening passage for me, I just remember being really startled in a good way, way while reading it because it, it is quite unforgiving about the relationship between mothers and daughters in a way that I think so often gets a bit of a rosy or sentimental gloss. How was negotiating that darkness um, while you're writing the novel? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, um, you know, I, I've been reading a lot about people's reactions to the book. And I think for the readers, it's been a darker experience than it was for me writing it. I think that, and I think people are worried for me and surprised when they hear that. <laughs> but um, I, you know, I really just let um, the narrator's voice kind of lead the way and be a guide for for the way the story would move and for the relationship, um, for the way the relationship between mother and daughter would unfold. I, I didn't find it, you know, I guess even looking back, it's interesting, but I didn't really find it difficult or, or painful in any way to write. I think it was just a story I had to tell or, you know, it was kind of bubbling at the surface for such a long time. And so it actually felt maybe a little more like a relief to get it out rather than something that was difficult to sit in. Um, it, it, it was probably relieving, if anything. Yeah, it's funny because I think 
I think it's not like those feelings in the novel don't exist. I think they exist everywhere <laughs> in copious amounts, but it's not really talked about. And I think maybe those, re those reviewers, it's almost less a reflection on the novel and more the kind of world the novel is coming into that people are realizing, oh, people have very conflicted and jealous emotions about their mothers. Yeah, I think that's always really true. Some, I mean, for many, for many novels, um, you know, the reactions that we have, of course, they say something about the novel, but they also say something about what we're bringing, you know, to, to the pages of that, of that particular work. So I'm always interested in how differently, you know, when I read a book, my reactions are often so different than when my friends read the book. And I think that's always so telling about how different we are from each other. Mm. And then as the introduction mentions, the mother has an experience with Alzheimer's and the book follows her daughter's own journey living with that. How was that, how was unpacking that for you? So, you know, in the novel, the narrator, she's trying to make sense of her mother's disease and the disease, of course, you know, she, she's an artist, the narrator's an artist and she's talking to doctors and there's all this scientific jargon, you know, that's coming at her as she's researching. And the way she makes sense of Alzheimer's is through her artwork. So she uses diagrams and maps and drawings and labels and lists as a way to, you know, which, which are all kind of strategies she uses in her artistic practice. She uses these as a way in which to make sense of a disease um, that is being explained to her from a completely different discipline. And I think I did something very similar where I uh, unpacked Alzheimer's disease by writing the novel. So mm. she was using her artwork and I was using the book itself <laughs> in a way. Um, my grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. I guess now it's been like four or five, maybe five years ago. And my, my first reaction was to research everything I could about the disease. And because, you know, I was kind of sure that I was going to cure her. And I was going to be the one who <laughs> figured out a way through natural means or through something to, to help her. And so I just went really deep into it and, and, and I learned so much and that all found its way into the book, um, you know, through the relationship between the mother and the daughter. Yeah, there are several moments in the novel where the protagonist, the artist, does talk to a doctor who's often a male doctor as well. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there are just these funny moments of tension where she tries to bring in something from her practice or her research and mm -hmm. it, it almost unsettles them. <laughs> you know, they don't want to think about it. It's funny, I have moments like that, not, not I haven't had moments like that with my grandmother's mm -hmm. doctor, but I've had, I have moments like that with doctors all the time where yeah. I <laughs> ask strange questions or I try to use a metaphor or some kind of, you know, just an analogy to understand the way a system works or to understand how a drug will work or something. And um, I get these blank looks like, you know, just 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 take the medicine or just yeah. accept, accept the diagnosis and let's move on. Like, why are we going into, but I'm, I'm really curious. And I, I actually think um, science, I think medicine is actually very interesting um, because, you know, 
in some ways it is a belief system like mm -hmm. any other, but yet we hold it up to this stat, this, you know, kind of impossible standard. We put it mm -hmm. on a, a sort of pedestal where, um, we think it, it'll have the answers to everything. But when we actually get sick or when our relatives actually get sick, we realize that there are so many holes, mm. uh, so many holes in medicine. Yeah. So I find it really interesting to think about and write about um, for that reason. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So you've You've kind of mentioned reading the different reviews um, around it. So this is your first novel. Um, yeah. How has seeing something you've worked on so privately for so long, what's it been like seeing it kind of come out into the open and reading reviews across uh, the globe? Um, of course, the good reviews are amazing. And I'm mm -hmm. thrilled always <laughs> to read a good review, you know, and, 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 I, I have a few moments of bliss after I, I read a good review. The very, you know, negative or critical reviews are a little tougher to read, much tougher. Um, I think I didn't know how tough it would be to read a bad review or to read a negative review. I thought, you know, oh, but it happens to everybody and I'll just be so grateful that my book is out in the world that, you know, it won't matter what anyone says at that point. Um, it turns out it, it does hurt a little bit. I think writers are pretty sensitive and pretty thin-skinned overall, at least I am. And I, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel it um, when I read something negative, but it's been pretty remarkable to, you know, especially through social media to see how many readers, um, especially now with, with the book or not, to see how many readers are see are you know reading this novel because it's so easy for debuts to kind of get missed completely and so in that sense I'm so grateful because I think the book is actually um, reaching readers that it wouldn't have otherwise. And yeah tell us a bit um, about finding out you were long listed for the booker what was that like? Oh gosh that was um, 
Incredible. I, I was, I, I live in Dubai, so I was sitting in my bedroom actually, and I got a call. My um, editor at Hamish Hamilton, Hermione, was calling me on the phone. And for a second I stopped and I thought, oh God, I've missed a deadline because she doesn't usually call me. So then I started to think, okay, I've forgotten to do something that I was supposed to do. So I was a little nervous when I answered and she said, you know, are you sitting down? And I said, oh God, I've really done something bad. So I said, yes, I'm sitting down. And she said, and she told me the news. And um, I think I, I cried first. And once I stopped crying, I was kind of rambling and, and you know, asking her again and again, are you being serious? Are you, are you kidding? And she was like, yes, I'm being serious. So it was a kind of awkward conversation, yeah. I'm sure, for her trying to convince me. Um, but yeah, and then I was, I was over the moon. I'm so glad that it is getting, getting out there, especially with the prize. Um, final question. So you've, you've talked about before the, the freedom that comes with writing in the dark. Mm. Um, it's fair to say you, you probably have less of that now. <laughs> um, how, is, how has that been for you, that shift? Um, it's a little paralyzing, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's difficult to now, and it's not that I've even started writing the next book, mm. but even just, um, you know, I, I have a few small projects I'm working on, like essays for different publications. Um, I'm trying to write some short stories, and it's just... It is paralyzing at the moment. I think, I think in a couple of months, you know, once um, everything, or even in a couple of weeks, once everything dies down a little bit, uh, it'll be um, a little bit easier. I'm hoping, but I, I think there isn't ever going to be that same kind of feeling where I can really do anything, and I don't have to be. I won't have any fear in me that you know. Uh, the people I work with are going to say, oh God, this is terrible. I, I always have this, I have this fear that my agent or my editor are going to turn around and say, I don't know why we ever decided to work with you. You're just hopeless. <laughs> You're just terrible. So it's almost like I'm afraid everybody's going to realize that, oh, actually she doesn't know how to write. She doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> I guess that's part of the doubt of being a writer. I don't know. That's what some people have told me. It's, it's really hard to say. It's so interesting to hear you say that because I think there's always, you know, with, with any pursuit or hobby or, or career, there's, there's the assumption that, oh, once I'll reach this stage of something, I'll be fully confident and, and never have any doubt. And yeah, it's, you've been long listed for a huge prize and, you know, had all these great reviews. And yet that the feeling still persists. I don't know if one ever really gets over this imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. especially, you know, I think especially with me, I, my background is in art history. I studied mm -hmm. art history. Um, I did my master's in it and I worked in the art world for a while. And so I'm much more confident, even though I probably always like a terrible curator, but <laughs> I, um, I somehow have a little more confidence there, or I feel that I have some backing or something, but with writing, I guess I never really took a class formally. And so mm -hmm. I always, you know, feel maybe I have, I don't know, maybe I have a little chip on my shoulder about it mm -hmm. as well that I, you know, that I, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah. I don't, I don't think you're alone in feeling that. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Avni. Thank you. 
that's all from us. Thanks for joining us this week on the Prospect Interview. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating and review. It really does help. Goodbye, stay safe, and see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.